Hi, I'm Phil Moorhart, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. We're deep into Oscar season, and there's a hyper buzz around new films right now. What to see, what should be honored. And it's easy to forget about cinema's past. In particular, films have been overlooked and forgotten. Cinema's past is in dire need of saving, literally. As older celluloid films age, they must be identified, cataloged, and oftentimes restored by conservationists quickly before they deteriorate. And on the flip side of that, there are hundreds of thousands of films out there made by everyday people who used and still use home movie formats, 8mm, Super 8, 16mm, to capture intimate details of their lives. Finding and saving these films that document often unseen parts of the American experience throughout history is crucial. Today, on the Dewey Decimal Podcast, we look at two groups undertaking these important endeavors. First, Steve Zalewski, Manager of Communications for the American Library Association's Public Awareness Office, reports from the Mostly Lost Film Workshop at the Library of Congress's Packard Campus for Audiovisual Conservation in Culpeper, Virginia. Next, I talk to A.J. Lawrence, Media Conservation and Digitization Assistant at the Smithsonian, about the Great Migration Home Movie Project, a program that digitizes home movies and other analog media documenting the African-American experience. But also, before we get started on all this, uh, we here at Dewey Decibel, we need your help. Head over to surveymonkey.com slash r slash Dewey Decibel to take a short 12-question survey about the podcast, what you like about it, what you don't like about it, what you want more of. We'd love to hear your feedback because we're working on things to make them better for you. But first, a word from a sponsor. From Octavia Spencer to John Cena, you can read the stars this award season with Celebrity Read posters. ALA Graphics is offering Dewey Decibel listeners 10 to 20% savings on Celebrity Read posters by using a special coupon code. Shop for your favorite stars and place your order through our online store, alastore.ala.org, and use the code DECIBEL. That's all caps, DECIBEL. Everyone using that code will receive 10% on their Celebrity Read posters, and ALA members will save 20% by combining this offer with their member discounts. Head over to alastore.ala.org and shop now. This offer expires on March 21st. Valid for online orders only. This past June, nearly 200 professional and amateur film scholars gathered to test their research skills and knowledge of film history at the Library of Congress's 45-acre Packard Campus for Audiovisual Conservation in Culpeper, Virginia for the Mostly Lost Film Workshop. Now, the purpose of this workshop is to screen films from various archives around the world, including the Library of Congress, that remain unidentified. And by calling the collective expertise of these attendees, succeed in unmasking these elusive clips. Consider it like a crowdsourcing for film obsessives. Steve Zalewski, Manager of Communications for the American Library Association's Public Awareness Office, is a mostly lost regular, and he compiled this report from the 2017 gathering. Hi, this is Steve Zalewski for the Dewey Decibel Podcast. Today I will be focusing on a film preservation event that is near and dear to my heart, Mostly Lost. 
Mostly Lost is held each year at the Library of Congress's National Audiovisual Conservation Center at the Packard Campus in the foothills of the Blue Ridge Mountains in Culpeper, Virginia. Culpeper is 75 miles southwest of Washington, D.C. Here resides our nation's filmed and recorded history. As a film buff, I marvel at its collection of 1.2 million moving images and 124 nitrate film vaults. There's also a 200-seat theater where vintage films are shown. I and dozens of film fanatics will gather to identify films from the Library of Congress and other archives that exist but remain unidentified. Those who feel they know the answers will shout out after, in many cases, running data through a computer or spotting a familiar actor or location. But I'll let Rob Stone, moving image curator at the Library of Congress, elaborate. Well, Mostly Lost is an unidentified film workshop, um, and the reason you need that is older films um, are damaged often, and or the titles are taken off for various reasons, so we don't know what the film is, so hence the mostly lost. In other words, the film isn't lost, we have the film, but since we don't know what it is, it's mostly lost. It is important to point out here that, according to data from the Library of Congress, only 14% of the feature films produced in the United States during the period 1912 to 1929 survive in the format in which they were originally produced and distributed. Another 11% survive in full-length foreign versions or on film formats of lesser image quality, such as 16mm and other smaller gauge formats. So, how did this annual gathering of film freaks and scholars begin? But here at the Library of Congress, it started out of, out of the fact that there was a, a film festival was canceled one year, so we had people over here and from that, we thought, hey, wait, we can have people here. So we, uh, we've developed this mostly lost. One of those regulars at the original festival was Rob Farr. I uh, teach film history at George Mason University in Fairfax. Um, and also, I was the founder of the Slapstacon Film Festival. Now, that's the precursor to this, right? Right, although they're two separate entities. But when the Slapstacon ended, this began. Um, why is an event important to you, and like this, important to you? And why isn't this event important, you know, to our culture? Um, these are the kinds of films that will never be released on DVD. They'll never be on um, Turner Classic Movies. And um, if you love film, you want to know what survives. What exi I mean, if something is sitting in a can labeled unidentified, it might as well be lost. Um, it, 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 can make no, it can tell no story. Only until we look at the film and identify it does it have a story to tell. And that's the importance of this festival. Now let's take you into the theater. The room is dark, save for the picture on the screen and the glow of an assortment of laptop computers. On the screen is a black-and-white film of turn-of-the-century vintage, featuring a boy and his father in a chicken coop. The father has a rifle and is in search of a chicken thief, who is perched above them on the roof of an outbuilding. Here we go with uh, number 77, Unidentified Edison. Not that, but it's like it's using the same uh, little uh, 
So it looks similar to the Chicken Thieves, but it's not that. So it's probably more on each Number 78, Unidentified Western Fragments. <laughs> said the one on the right might be Arthur Mackley. Well, he says maybe not. Well, we, we, we always want the fans. And we all, we, because in reality, uh, the more obscure you get, the frankly, the stronger sources they are for, for identification uh, than, say, people, people who are a little bit more in the academic world. Um, but since since it is a workshop and it has an outcome as opposed to a film festival where you know, as great as those are, you, tend, you, you come watching and you go home. Um, I think that that's what's attracted kind of the, the broader range of folks to, to this, both you know uh, fans, collectors, historians, archivists, scholars. If this is unidentified, does it go into advance? Uh, is it essentially on hold? Does well, this make it more available to people? Yeah, this, yeah. obviously, once you know what something is, it, it becomes more obtainable to people. And I, I think most archives have so much to do with the films that they know they have that it makes it real hard to spend too much uh, effort on that stuff you don't know. So that's kind of the point, part of the point is to bring a bunch of people together and we can, within a matter of minutes sometimes, we can do the amount of... Uh, of research or, or inspection of a film that, that might take an archive years to do uh, just because we have the, the, the power of 150 or so minds rather than just one. The event, which will be held this year, June 14th through the 16th, attracts archivists from across the country. Hi, my name is Dino Everett. I am the archivist slash curator at the USC School of Cinematic Arts, Hugh M. Hefner Moving Image Archive. Okay, so what uh, brings you to Mostly Lost? Mostly Lost started kind of at when I worked at UCLA with Rob Stone, where we would periodically just pull some of the unidentified stuff out of the collection, and back then it was called the Al Joy Fan Club, and then, you know, uh, when the Slapstacon didn't happen that one year, it became the Al Joy Fan Club National Convention. Um, and the first year it was pretty much all silent comedy. Um, but now it's it's branched out. And to me, I think it's one of the most like exciting, encouraging things that any archive is doing. Because traditionally, the unidentified material was pushed off to the side and not even dealt with. Whereas you never know, you might have something really important, but it's only our ignorance as archivists why it's unidentified. So put a bunch of people in a room and you have a good chance of figuring out what it is. Everett specializes in alternative film gauges. Alternative, that is to say, to 35 millimeter. And as, you know, we had 35 and we had 16 and then we had eight. 
but there's been like a hundred film formats and you know all of them are related to little aspects of, of film history and in many times material will exist only on one of these weird film formats and so as a film collector growing up I would find evidence of a film existing only on some weird format and I want to see it and so okay well I've got to get a projector and then you know I can get that weird film and play it on this weird projector and then I can see that title and you said as you said you hand cranked last year um, yeah last year we did a, a, a program that was like two feature-length films on 28 millimeter run continuously and so we had a motorized projector and a hand cranked one for two hours <laughs> or longer <laughs> The man in charge of the facility is Greg Luco, chief of the National Audiovisual Conservation Center at the Library of Congress. Um, and could you tell me a little bit about you know, what the center does, what kind of holdings it has? Yeah, we um, the um, audiovisual collections of the Library of Congress are centralized here at the Packard campus. Um, the uh, when I say the collections are centralized, that means this is where we acquire the audiovisual collections, whether analog or digital, where we perform uh, processing and descriptive work, inventorying, rehousing, barcoding, cataloging where necessary, where we store them on shelves or in data center as appropriate for either analog or digital audiovisual collections, and where we make uh, where we do preservation reformatting in our three preservation labs, the film lab, the video lab, and the audio lab. Mm -hmm. The only function of the division that remains in D.C. is where our two research centers are, the Recorded Sound Research Center on the first floor of the James Madison Building on Capitol Hill, and the Moving Imagery Center Research Center on the third floor of the Madison Building. But we are connected by 80 miles of fiber optic cable between Culpeper and those two research centers on Capitol Hill and uh, the content is served via uh, transmission from the Packard campus to DC where our research patrons come to actually view or listen to the collections. Um, what does an event like Mostly Lost mean to to this facility um, uh, in terms of um, helping you to conduct your mission? Sure. Well, it's an, an, you know, when you preserve a film, um, can you really consider it preserved if you have something but you don't know what it is? <laughs> How can you put a preserved piece of celluloid in the proper historical context so that researchers, historians will understand what it, how it fits into the mosaic, the complex mosaic of our cultural artifacts and the history of them unless you know what it is. So being able to identify those works is a kind of a final step in preservation, if you will. After we've made new copies of them, we still can't put them in that historical context. One interesting project at the Library of Congress involves reaching out to private collectors. Um, I'm Amy Jo Stansel, and I work as a technician at the Library of Congress on the silent film project. I am working with private collectors to borrow 16 millimeter prints 
of silent features for the purpose of scanning. The reason um, the 16 millimeter prints are important is we're looking at titles that don't exist on 35. So if they're only known to exist on 16 and we are able to find them and have access to them, um, scanning them enables people to have access to them for research um, or for entertainment purposes as well. They put them online sometimes on our blog for streaming. Um, so it's really an access project about enabling access to films that aren't known to exist on 35 anymore and aren't in any archives. So are they available online now, or some of them? Or? Um, on our Now See Here project, we have um, Eastside Westside which was a film that we borrowed from John Marsalis, and John Marsalis scored, and that's available on our Now See Here blog. Um, and eventually we plan to put more films on that blog, as well as on our screening room, uh, the National Screening Room, when that launches. How important has this, been event, uh, has this event been uh, for spreading the word or making collectors who may be in the audience aware that this is going on, and has that yielded results? In you know. Definitely. Um, this is my third year attending, and the first year I had just started working here and launched the project a week before, and met multiple collectors here um, at Mosley Lost. And every year that I come back, I meet more collectors. So it, it's a big part of growing that base of people that we from. And the collectors, so many of them know each other too, that the word of mouth between all the different collectors helps as well. The annual workshop also includes a tour of the facility, as well as evening screenings of vintage films. For more information, email news at loc.gov. Looking to start a film series at your library or get into archiving and preservation but don't know where to start? Head to the ALA store for volumes to get you started, like Film Programming for Public Libraries by Katie Irons. This book offers the tools to make movie programming a reality at any public library. Irons, a public librarian who has overseen a countrywide movie program, offers a complete guide for creating, mounting, running, marketing, licensing, and evaluating a successful film program. Or how about Film Preservation, Competing Definitions of Value, Use, and Practice by Karen F. Gracie. This is an invaluable book that provides an introduction to the major players in the film community and the internal and external forces that influence film preservation. It also addresses the constraints of funding, intellectual property issues, the orphan film movement, and much more. You can find these books and much, much more at alastore.ala.org. Studio motion pictures and television productions throughout history have lacked diverse representation. The black history was and has been preserved in everyday home movies. The Great Migration is a unique digitization service at the National Museum of African American History and Culture at the Smithsonian that offers to digitize, for free, analog audiovisual media created by African Americans. From 16mm Super 8 and 8mm films to audio recordings and videotapes. These personal narratives are an invaluable tool for understanding and reframing black moving image history and they provide a much-needed visualization of African-American history and culture. I spoke with A.J. Lawrence, Media Conservation and Digitization Assistant at the Smithsonian, to learn much more about this project. 
You're here with A.J. Lawrence from the National Museum of African American History and Culture at the Smithsonian. Um, A.J., welcome to the Dewey Decimal Podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Happy to be here. Great. Um, now let's um, talk a bit about the uh, the Great Migration Home Movie Project. Um, for our listeners who don't know about it, can you can you tell them and me a bit more? Uh, so the Great Migration Home Movie Project is a public initiative at the museum with our media conservation team, wherein the public can make an appointment with us and bring in their own home movies and home videos and audio to be digitized at no cost. And um, when, uh, I guess, first of all, when did the project start? How long have you been doing um, this um, this preservation effort? Um, the project, we got we started at taking appointments uh, at the very end of 2016, so we've been going for about a year now, and sort of the project was in planning stages uh, quite a bit before that um, with our colleague, Walter Forsberg, who just unfortunately left us at the museum, but um, really the project really had its genesis at a something he did in New York called Transfer Station, where, again, artists could bring in their tapes to be digitized by professional conservators. For um, some of our, I think, um, the home home movies, it's something that uh, that we're all, um, in, our, in our past and present, we all have, I think, a, a connection to, to home movies. Um, so why, in particular, is it important to digitize and preserve these movies, um, to all those movies in general, but particularly those relating to the African-American experience that, that you're doing at the museum? Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly in general for home movies, there's the idea of self-documentation. You know, this is, you know, in many ways, people's memories. Um, but for African-Americans in particular, African-American community, um, you know, it's not, you know, it's not something anybody doesn't know that you know, African-Americans were not well represented in mainstream media. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly there was the history of race films, and et cetera, and Oscar Michaud, but um, you know, by and large, you know, folks did not see themselves in the movies, but they were documenting themselves. And so you were recapturing, in many ways, is African-American history as told by African-Americans. Um, and beyond that, the history we often hear about is, you know, the civil rights movement, and it was going to be a very dark chapter of American history. But what we see in African-American home movies is the opposite, is the other side of that history. It's the whole picture. It's not just, you know, the, you know, newsreel footage of folks being attacked by dogs. You see, you know, people at cookouts, you know, family reunions, weddings, you know, so on and so forth. And how many, um, how many in the, in the years that you've been doing this, how many films have been brought to you to, um, for preservation and digitization? Yeah, I was trying to work that out in anticipation of our uh, talk, and I don't have an exact figure. We were kind of playing in terminal, trying to see how many video files we have. And right now that's about roughly 450, which is not an accurate assessment of the number of individual items just because of how we do digitization. But um, I know we've done about 50 or so appointments. Um, we do it three days a week, so Tuesday through Thursday. And what's the um, what are the date the date ranges of these films that 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 uh, you've been receiving? Um, primarily, I would say we've gotten most from 50s through the 90s. I think it's pretty accurate to say um, the bulk of which has been Super 8 and uh, VHS tapes. So that's primarily sort of 70s through the mid 90s. 
That's been, I think that's been the most common format we've come across. And um, what's, I guess, what's the the process like for, for say, one of our listeners has um, a film that they would like to 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 have digitized and preserved by the museum? What what would they do? What's um what's the whole beginning to end process like? Not sure. So what they would do is um, they would navigate to uh, the Smithsonian uh, African American History and Culture Museum website. So nmaahc.si.edu and under the it's unfortunately kind of buried in menus but um under the initiatives tab you're able to find great migration project and there you're able to contact us through an email that which is we are we say our um acronym as namac internally so namac digitization at si.edu and you contact us directly and we'll send you a link to a calendar where you can sign up and get two tickets to the museum that are special for the program. Um, so you'll have your ticket, and you'll come on the appointed day, and you and a guest will be able to come up to our media lab um, and drop off all of your materials and sign some paperwork that's required for such a thing, um, and then enjoy the museum until about 4.30 in the afternoon when then you come back and everything should be ready. And we provide folks with a uh, USB thumb drive with all of the material that we digitized that day. Oh wow! I I didn't realize that the, the process was that fast. So it's it's literally you you were doing all of this work um, over the course of, of a work day. That's awesome. Are you doing any type of um, uh, pres preservation efforts as far as um, uh, uh, repairing damaged uh, film reels or anything like that, or is it just straight? What you uh, see is what you get. We do as much concert, uh, hands on um, repairs as we can. Um, our film scanner doesn't require us to do perf repairs just because it's rocketless. But, um, but yeah, we, you know, add leader, inspect, everything is inspected before it's played. And there's been a couple of times where uh, certainly videotapes that appeared to possibly have mold where we wouldn't put it through the machine or anything like that. Um, but yeah, it's uh, as much care as we would, or at least nearly as much care as we would take with museum collections themselves. Um, but yeah, we try to, we do as much as we can in a uh, about a six-hour period. So folks drop off at 11 and they pick up around 4:30, and sometimes we're still running, um, you know, checksums or things before we can hand things off. But by and large, by 4:30, everything is done, um, and. You know, I think most of the time folks have understood that, you know, videotape is, digitization is real time. So, so, you know, if you bring a six-hour VHS tape, we're getting going to get that one tape done. But, um, mm -hmm. but for film, we're able to go as fast as in real time. So we, I think in one day, I've been able to do, you know, 18 Super 8 reels, something like that. Um, um, awesome. And the... Um, the now the, the materials that you're receiving. What happens to them once they are in your hands? You've 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 handed off the the original formats to the original owners, and now you have these digital files. What is the museum doing with those? Um, um, are you making them available to the public? And if so, um, where can they where can um, they be viewed? 
Uh, sure. So all the original media is returned to our client for that day. Um, and they're able to opt in or out of a museum study collection, um, wherein we do hold on to uh, digital copies of the materials. So, and that's something folks, it's totally optional, but yes, we are building a African American home movie collection that is publicly available. And just last month, we put up the first um, videos for that, which can be found on the Smithsonian Virtual Archives, which is called SOVA, so S-O-V-A dot S-I dot E-D-U. Um, and it's a finding, it's a traditional finding aid uh, with um, digital, with links and with video links in it. So you're able to get a little bit of information about the videos and the appointment that day and then be able to watch them. Oh, awesome. And um, of, of all the materials that you've digitized so far, it, are there any highlights, anything that uh, um, sticks out in your mind that you'd like to tell some of our readers about? Um, I think my personal favorites, I mean, there's one we often show guests kind of more kind of as a joke, to be honest, but it is, it's come together in a few different ways. Um, someone brought in video of uh, someone who kind of did, lack of a better word, kind of a freak show act but he had, was doing it at home for, at a party where he could, you know, eat light bulbs and, you know, pick people up with his teeth and that kind of thing. So we had, it was kind of surprising to come across. But um, and he ended up, turned out he was kind of a Washington, D.C. fixture for in the 70s and 80s, but um, called Iron Jaw Samson. But um, um, I think for me, the most interesting is often the most is quotidian home movies. Like, I've seen so many you know, trips to Yellowstone and Old Faithful going off. But I think the most fun and most interesting ones are people just hanging out at home and you really get to, you kind of get a sense of their life. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it sounds like a fascinating and an important project. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, as mentioned, uh, uh, if any of our listeners are uh, interested, you can go to the National Museum of African American History and Culture's uh, website. They're part of Smithsonian, and you can learn more of how to uh, – Get some of your um, home movies digitized and part of the collection. Uh, AJ, thanks so much for talking to us today. I appreciate it. Yeah, sure thing. That wraps another episode of the Dewey Decibel Podcast. I'd like to thank Steve Zalewski for his report from the Library of Congress's Culpeper Campus and AJ Lawrence from the Smithsonian for speaking with us today. Join us next month as we explore ways that libraries can help patrons with their financial planning. You don't want to miss this one. I know I'm going to learn a lot next month, too. As always, you can find us on Twitter. Please join us over there. We can continue these conversations. And don't forget to head over to surveymonkey.com slash r slash Dewey Decibel to take a short, very short 12-question survey about the podcast. Please, your feedback helps us grow and get better. Until next month, I'm Phil Moorhart, Associate Editor of American Libraries, the magazine of the American Library Association, and this is the Dewey Decibel Podcast. If you love film, you want to know what survives.